Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tinker Talks. I am your host, Mark Hybers, and today we are doing a uh, dual a dual podcast for you. We are doing the audio version as well as a video version uh, because we have a very important and, and special guest today with us to talk about something that we've been talking about for a very long time, um, but we're not out of the woods. And so I think we've been going on about 10 months into the, the pandemic now, and I think we had all kind of hoped that we would be long past this, um, or at least moving through it. But as it turns out, um, cases are still going up, and so we're, we're still having to battle this, this pandemic known as the coronavirus. So today we're actually going to turn the microphone over to the installation commander and allow him to conduct a conversation at a senior level, a senior executive level. Um, and so with that, I am going to turn this conversation over to my boss, the installation commander, Colonel Paul Filchek, and he is going to talk to the director of the Air Force Sustainment Center, Contract, contracting director at Mr. Anthony Bauman. So, sir, over to you. Thank you both for joining us here today. Thank you, Mark. Uh, ladies and gentlemen of Team Tinker, Team Tinker, let me start uh, with kind of baselining you on her, on who uh, Mr. Anthony Bauman is. Uh, being the director of contracting for the Air Force Sustainment Center, he's basically a member of the Senior Executive Service, a general officer equivalent in charge of the contracting vehicles for the entire Air Force Sustainment Center that affects five wings, three installations, and the uh, three aircraft depots across our Air Force. It's a a very prominent responsibility, and he's a very prominent senior leader uh, in Air Force Sustainment Center uh, business. With that, his message on COVID, uh, given that credibility alone, would be valuable to us at Team Tinker. But more importantly, Mr. Tony Bauman is a survivor of COVID-19. He recently went through a severe bout of COVID that threatened his life. And because he can offer that perspective, we didn't want to lose this opportunity to have a conversation with him about what he went through and what it means in our sa- as a safety uh, message to the rest of the force. So with that, Mr. Bauman, uh, let, let me start with uh, a thank you. Uh, for wanting to pay forward this way. Uh, You're in a very important business, and that business uh, can't stop. AFMC has the slogan that we do our wartime mission every day. Each and every one of us uh, in the command and on Team Tinker uh, has to execute the mission in defense of our nation and for our families and everything that we hold dear. We can't stop doing what we're doing. You worked up to the day that you uh, uh, thought that you had COVID. You'll go through that a little bit and then return to duty as soon as it was safe to do so. And for that, I think we all applaud you. Thank you very much. But I think you have a compelling message and I'd like you just to, to step us through it. Probably first and foremost with those early stages and what you went through and what was going through your mind. But anything you wanna talk about, the, the floor is wide open. So go ahead. Great, Colonel Filchek, I, I appreciate this opportunity to have this conversation. Uh, you really, uh, we've followed a lot on COVID through the last 10 months and uh, it really hits home when you have it and it really gives you a different perspective it makes you go back and reassess what you've done because from the beginning of it in march you know yes we knew we had a mission to accomplish uh paramount was making sure i could keep my workforce safe in doing that so fortunately we had done some telework activity last year which demonstrated that we could perform in that mode and we immediately sent everybody home Meanwhile, we looked at the workplace. How do we keep it safe? How do we lay in PPE? How do we make sure that when it is the right time to bring people back, we're able? 
Now, I want to make it clear, you know, from my workforce perspective, and kudos to them, we never locked them out of the building, but we gave them all the protocols because some of the systems, frankly, they needed to come in and get their updates and do their things. But uh, essentially, we were in full telework mode, and that went, frankly, all the way up, up until June. So we thought we had the right protocols in, and me being based on it, trying to protect, you know, based on focused on the, the protocols uh, because of my workforce and trying to keep them safe, I lived them. Practice social distancing most more than anything, and I think we were doing that effectively. So from my perspective, I was minimizing my risk. If we were in close proximities, we always had masks. When you go out in town, I'm taking wide berths before, you know, we really demonstrated, you know, we really need to do masks and you had mask mandates and such. So I think I'm doing everything right. And even in my circles, which I have a you know, certain set number of circles that I navigate in, I worked hard not to cross-contaminate them, which if I did get COVID should make contact tracing easy. And that was the idea of if I was with somebody in close proximity, I would kind of wait two to five days, you know, through symptom periods, if you will, to appear, just to make sure that if I was at risk and something happened, I didn't bring it to somebody. Yeah. And I will tell you there, there and, and, and I, will, I will mention this a little bit later, but there's no worse feeling than to potentially expose somebody. And I experienced that too, okay? So um, I thought we were doing everything right. And uh, I actually have been back in the office. I was working about three days a week in the front and then keeping my deputy and my technical director engaged with a one day a week thing, keeping us out of the office at the same time, not exposing people, again, good protocols. In June, I came back and I started working full-time because for a while I had to cover down behind Mr. Stamey when Mr. Stamey left, so I was preparing to do that. And I did that uh, in July and in August until Mr. D'Angelo took over in the office. So I'm here every day, and I had a, a good regimen. But uh, again, I'm able to keep all the distances and, and, and everything was working well. In comes the end of October. And uh, you remember the ice storm, so I will never forget it because of the ice storm. <laughs> In fact, my house was without power for five days, which made this whole thing kind of difficult to assess up front and, uh, and, and maybe a little difficult to, to handle. So um, Monday, the ice storm hit. I worked Monday. I worked Tuesday. I worked Wednesday. It was Wednesday evening that, you know, my house was about 57 degrees with, you know, no power in it. And the I was chilled. I still had, you know, sweatshirt on or whatever, you know, like a, a you know, a sweater and a, and pants, you know. But um, uh, I was still chilled, and I said, "This doesn't feel right." I took my temperature, and it was 101.8. Wow. So there's my symptom. I'm like, "Wow, I'm running 102 fever." So I'm like, "Okay." My first hope, because of the weather changes, maybe I have strep. I don't call it COVID denial, but just that they're all kind of possibilities. Uh, I'm a healthy guy. I don't have underlying health conditions. Um, I've had like, you know, two surgeries in my life. One was arthroscopic and one was tonsillectomy at five years old. So I didn't. Well, can you work out five pardon? times a week? Well, I were, was up until COVID. Right. I was working out five times mm -hmm. a week in a gym with my workout buddy. And uh, I, I figure I'm healthy. So I thought that I was at low risk for COVID, but I will tell you it can hit every, anyone because uh, one of my sons lives in Atlanta. He had a mild case of it, actually contracted it in the hospital when his wife was giving birth to their third child. <laughs> so you don't know where you're going to get it, right. when it's going to hit, and that's what makes it difficult. I've actually kind of likened it to the, to the flu on steroids. It's hyper contagious, but it's so much harder to track. 
Yes. But similarly, what makes sense to me is the things you would do if you had the flu or a bad cold or running a fever. This is a lot of it's the same with COVID. It's the isolation, it's the protection, it's the distancing. So to me, the protocols arguably made sense. And, uh, and consequently, I thought it was just, you know, it was good business. And, and notwithstanding, that's what we were going to do. So I checked the fever, I have a fever. I went to a med stop on Thursday and got a COVID test, couldn't get a rapid test. They only actually do so many of those. And so if you think you have COVID, one of the things you need to do is schedule an appointment to get one of those rapid tests because mm -hmm. you can get that back in 15 minutes. Yes. But I went uh, late morning, they said, ah, we're not giving any more this morning, but we can give you one, results will be back in two to five. So it was actually Sunday, three days later, I got the phone call that says, hey, it's a mess up. Um, your test turned out positive. And I'm like, mm, great, not what I wanted to hear. Well, the difficulty was, this is Sunday, so remember my fever started on Wednesday. I couldn't break the fever. Never in my life has the fever ne ever, never broken. Rarely would I ever see a fever go past three days. Most of what I've heard with people who've had the mild cases of COVID, maybe it's three days of fever, it's mm -hmm. up and back, and a lot of times it's 99.5 somewhere in that range. It's a lower grade. I'm running 102. In fact, one day it hit 103.3. No, I think we were, we were communicating on day five or six. And, and at that point, most doctors will tell you that's extremely dangerous to be running over 100 for that many days. Well, it is. And I, you know, so a, a research guy because of my business, right? I went out and looked. 104, it arguably starts, you know, damage to the brain risk, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So when I hit 103.3, I'm sitting down in the shower letting a lot of cool water run mm -hmm. on me, bringing the body temperature down. I went back out and I had it back below 102. There were a couple times it dropped right below 100 on a random test because I'm testing throughout the day. And then it popped back to 102. Um, I figured, okay, three days. So here's Tony. My body's good. I can handle this. I figured five. I hit day five and I still have fever. The fever actually didn't break until Wednesday morning, about three or four in the morning. Uh, wow. I broke into a cold sweat. Mm -hmm. And so stubborn Tony would have said, finally, I can make it through that. And I'm here today because that didn't happen. Because Hmm. Tony believes that had he been stubborn and stayed another day, there was a lot more going on in his body that he didn't know about. Yeah. Tony probably wouldn't be here today. Hmm. And so I, I can. Wow. It's, yeah. it's, it, it, was, it was a frightening experience because I wasn't scared all the way up until I couldn't break the fever. And it was actually on, that was on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, and I think it was Tuesday, somebody brought me an oximeter and said, how's your oxygen doing? And it's actually my guy who's doing all my contact tracing for COVID. Mm -hmm. He says, do you know what your oxygen is? I'll bring you an oximeter. I'll put it out in front of your door. And I tested the oximeter. My oxygen was running around, around 90. They like the oxygen to be running at 95 plus. Mm -hmm. Uh, 85 bells and whistles go off in the hospital on the monitors, and they say at 79, you're actually at high risk of actually damaging the organs. Right. So I started doing it, and I'm like, well, I'm 90, and I did some reach out, and everyone's looking at 90. Well, on Wednesday morning, I get phone calls. I always do an 8 o'clock tag up, even through COVID. I wanted to you know, keep up with my guys. I, Colonel Jason Whittle and Mary Wade, Mary's my tech director, Colonel Whittle, my deputy, outstanding job running contracting, uh, don't need me around. Uh, me staying plugged in was kind of a mental thing. 
for me to to kind of stay engaged and uh, you know still still kind of feel some some value. Uh, but um, we had our conversation at eight o'clock, and uh, they got off that phone and they said, "He's not making sense. He's not wow. completing his thoughts. Hmm. He's not coherent." Something you could never notice on your own. You won't. Without that, right? You won't. My exercise buddy Steve Irwin, and Steve's in protocol up at the airbase swing. Mm-hmm. And Steve was my go-to guy. We just had a code. You type go, I'm at your house, I'm picking you up, and I'm running you to the hospital. So we had our emergency set up. You know, I'm, I'm a single guy. I'm, you know, living at home. All my kids are grown, grown and gone. Uh, so it's just me. Uh, friends took care of me. And that's kind of the big thing. I think about it, you know, in the Wayman concept. Uh, uh, these guys just were, were there. And so, you know, Steve had the go button. Uh, everybody knew how to get in touch with each other. Uh, Brenda Kimbrell is my exec assistant, right? So she's my, she takes care of me up in the mm-hmm. office. And the four of us were on the phone that morning. And they said, okay, he is not right. They talked to Steve and Steve says, yep. Well, he's kind of mad. He thinks he's got it. He's got his things. Yeah, we got a code. We're watching. And, and they said, well, we need to get him to the hospital. He says, yeah, I think he needs to go. Mm-hmm. Steve's wife, Amy, has actually done respiratory stuff. And they said, what's your oxygen? I said, it's running 90. They said, that's too low. I said, well, 90's kind of their cutoff they look at and stuff, that's too low. You need to go to the hospital. Fundamentally, what changed this, and Tony was you know, resistant, it's like, I broke my fever. I'm, I'm on the other side of it, right? Couldn't have been more than wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary Wade, uh, God bless her, she lost her brother, her older brother to COVID mm-hmm. earlier this year. And she said, I'm gonna be the one to call. I might cry, but I'm gonna call. And she called up and she literally told me, she said, you need to go to the hospital. She said, I lost my brother. I'm not losing both of you. You Mm -hmm. need to go to the hospital. I'm like, okay. And so it was that intervention of Jason Whittle, Mary Wade, Brenda Kimbrell, Steve Irwin, Amy Irwin that said, you need to go. Something that I wouldn't have done. Lifesaver. Absolute lifesaver. Wow. Absolute lifesaver. So, so basically classic um, engagement and caring by teammates mm-hmm. um, really wins the day here. Um, wow. So you got, you got a legitimate save, and, and you couldn't really tell yourself because you're, you're the one becoming incoherent. You're the one that probably is using different rationalizations as you lose more and more capacity, and without that help, it might have been a whole different story. I think it's absolutely true. <clears throat> and there are things, you know, I mentioned things going on in the body. So I get into the body. You know, they do, they do uh, different things. They do a chest x-ray, a baseline. Yeah. Uh, they're checking, checking everything. They start putting you on oxygen. Oxygen is interesting. You know, they'll run up to six liters a minute or whatever on an oxygen flow, and they don't like to do any more than six, say, in the rooms, or they're going to send you to ICU. So they put me on oxygen, and, and uh, they did blood tests. They were doing a lot of, a lot of uh, different things that first day. And uh, a couple of the things that they did, uh, they started me on uh, an antibody plasma. And so they gave me a unit of antibody plasma, which frankly, and this is for anybody out there who's had COVID, uh, this is an opportunity uh, to give back. 30 days after you're out of the hospital, you can contact the Oklahoma Blood Institute and I will be calling them saying when, where, and how often. And that's a good idea because even on the day before I was out of the hospital, the doctor told me she ordered seven units of it that day mm. 
for use there. I was down at St. Anthony's downtown. They have a floor dedicated mm-hmm. uh, to, to the COVID patients in doubled up rooms. There are so many COVID patients. But uh, anyway, um, they gave me the, that, that plasma and then they started me on remdesivir, which is the one FDA approved mm-hmm. uh, treatment. And that is a actual five day treatment. You drip that over five days. Uh, each day they bring in a, a portion of remdesivir. Um, concurrently, they put steroid infusions in through, uh, through an IV. And uh, we were using inhalers, right? So. I got familiar with albuterol, which, you know, the first, you know, like four days you do that stuff. If you never used albuterol, oh, you're gagging on it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, yeah, what's this? <laughs> because I'm still, I'm still using it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, probably, you'll probably want to know a little bit about the, the after treatment. But, but um, I w- didn't know what was going on in me, but they could, they could look at the blood tests and such and tell. One thing I did notice on about the second day, third day, was cramping in my lower right calf on both in my lower right one and actually it was probably the second day because in the third day I started feeling a little bit in my left one and I told the doctor I said abnormal for me I feel it it's right down the middle right in the meat of the calf Mm -hmm. well one of the things they've learned over time is blood clots form in the legs and then those blood clots migrate upward Mm -hmm. So she said, okay. I mean, when I told the doctor that, boom, immediately she put uh, blood thinner shots, you know, in mm-hmm. my stomach and scheduled a sonogram. So they did a sonogram from through the whole leg, that right leg, and they found tiny blood clots down there. Fortunately, and she got it early with a blood thinner, it wasn't, they weren't clustering because mm-hmm. they're there, but they will also cluster and then migrate up. And, and, and for the audience, another life-threatening complication because they can migrate, exactly what you alluded to. And if they migrate up to the heart. Um, and they uh, did. So I had so, a CT. Yeah. I mean, literally, I could literally feel the, the pain move a little bit, and I could feel pain in my knee later and stuff. It's very, it's very interesting when you know your body. What's even better is the doctors listened and says, okay, <laughs> and did the checks and confirmed. The blood clots did come up and go, I think, to the lower lungs, to lower lungs. So when I walk wow. out, I walk out with a, with a diagnosis of pulmonary embolism. Hmm. Uh, and I'll be on blood thinners for the next 90 days. So uh, they literally shifted blood thinners in the hospital and went to heparin. Uh, heparin's stronger but harder to control, so the levels are mm-hmm. all over the place. They have to you know, check your blood you know, twice a day and look at it and adjust because it's kind of crazy. But then on the, uh, when they got... Uh, close to where they thought I was over the edge and I was going to be able to be coming home, they shifted to uh, Eloquus, mm-hmm. which is a pill which is a lot more stable than it. So anyway, um, it, was, it was that that they found in the hospital. They were able to do chest x-ray and they did the, the, the um, CT and they said, well, there's no, um, there's no pressure around the heart, mm-hmm. on the left side of the heart, right? So there's no pressure on the heart. There's, uh, there are those evidence they weren't hearing fluid in my lungs, but later then subsequently mm-hmm. you do get viral pneumonia mm-hmm. yes. and you get the shortness of breath. Meanwhile, in all this period of time, my oxygen needs are going up to six liters. Hmm. And wow. they had me at six liters per minute of oxygen and they were watching it. They don't like to do any more than that. There were two days the doctor said she was really worried. She thought she was gonna have to move me to ICU. 
in an ICU, then they would have put a mask on and directed oxygen flow and such, no ventilator, but, but, but a mask to get it in. And uh, we were watching that, and I'm constantly watching the monitor. Because I can actually, if you lay on your stomach, you take off less pressure and your oxygen on the oximeter will go up. So at the nighttime, I could run oxygen levels of 95 plus. But in the daytime, I'm sitting there floating around 90 and watching it. And mm -hmm. as I sit up, sometimes it dropped down to 85 and beep, 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 beep. Fortunately, I could hit the cancel button and tell it to shut up over there. <laughs> but, uh, but nonetheless, we're watching that levels. And the whole purpose is to try to get it to get, be 90 and above. And so I could adjust my uh, position and influence that. But so 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 please. you're 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 very coherent throughout every, every hour of this process. There was never a stage at which at, at which you went uh, you went out or or went delirious during all of this. You were cognizant all along. I was, and I'll tell you what I think was the difference was that fever breaking. Now when I went to the mm -hmm. to the hospital. I was still running a fever, a uh, couple doses of of ibuprofen, a couple doses of of acetaminophen and boom, fever was gone. And they're checking fever, they're checking your temperature like every three hours, yeah. come in and check in temperature, blood pressure. And uh, so I had, they, the fever was gone at that first day. And then I think that's the difference is because, you know, the fever is something mm -hmm. that really does, that really does mess yes. with you. So, so a little bit about, uh, you, you've already touched on it a lot in the hospital. Um, what's your take on the hospital environment? It, it, given that this may be a little bit atypical, but probably not, a lot of patients, a lot of hustle and bustle um, crammed up with COVID patients, or is it, uh, did, did it look like they were managing the demand okay? So, so I, I had a lot of conversations with the nurses, with the nurses' aides, and you know, doctor when they came in, learned a lot while I was there. Uh, St. Anthony's downtown, at the very beginning of it, uh, they got together and decided we're going to dedicate the 10th floor to it. And uh, with case numbers, they had two patients in every room. Mm -hmm. And so they were essentially full. Uh, I actually got a roommate that night. Uh, he and I bonded well. We stay in touch. Uh, uh, it gave me, an, again, I always like purpose in life. And mm -hmm. it gave me an opportunity uh, for a guy who's in his 30s who has COVID, who has a wife, has a 7-year-old and a 5-year-old at home. First time he's ever been in the hospital, miserable, very sad. And I was his pick-me-up guy. And I was talking to him, a lot of conversations, uh, a, lot of, a lot of opportunity, I think, to keep him positive. Even so much that you know, he introduced me to his family via his phone, his daughter saying prayers for me at night. And it just, it was uh, uh, interesting, you know, finds, in his mind, God brought us together, is, yes, <laughs> is what he yes. said, because he needed something. But, but for, uh, for me, I was coherent because I didn't have, I didn't have fever. And uh, the, uh, the uh, government iPhone was a saver because, yeah, I did look at emails and, yeah, I did uh, do text updates to the office and that sort of thing on what, what was going on with me because uh, you, you spoke of caring people reaching out, and that caring goes well beyond well beyond just you know the, the people I mentioned that intervened. Mm -hmm. uh, the reach out I got from so many people frankly, uh, uh, at Tinker, what a family. Absolutely. What a family. You know, I don't have family in Oklahoma, but yes, I do. Yes, you do. And it's called these Tinker people that I work with. Absolutely. So, so uh, you, you went through an extraordinary experience. Um, what about the aftermath? You've checked out of the hospital. You mentioned Eloquis. Um, we know that you have a regimen you have to go through on the backside of COVID. 
Um, and we also know that there's no real um, data on long-term implications of having been infected with COVID. Give us some thoughts on kind of both of those yeah. those vectors. Well, that is, yeah, that is, it is interesting as you look at it. I, uh, I always chuckle when people say, follow the science. And on COVID, we're creating the science. Yes. You know, science is get some data, form a hypothesis, test mm -hmm. it. You know, you've got the scientific method. And they didn't have any baseline for this. They had other things that wasn't acting like a virus should act. So I am, I, I believe I'm fortunate that I contracted COVID in November, COVID in November and not in March because they weren't looking for blood clots in March. Mm -hmm. They weren't thinking about uh, how, you know, they were trying to figure out how it transmitted in March. Uh, they didn't have remdesivir. They didn't have people who had COVID who then could give you antibody plasma. So all that didn't exist. Mm -hmm. uh, not sure the outcome because of what because of what was going on inside of my body mm -hmm. not sure that that would have been uh, the same so uh, when they sent me home and they've told me at least what they know is okay you have tiny blood clots in your lungs and you have um, uh, pneumonia and so that's just going to be your breathing issues so they sent me home with oxygen I know I'm going to do oxygen for a couple of weeks. Uh, my oxygen levels actually are, are quite good this morning. Uh, they were running anywhere from 94 to 100, honestly, and running it. And, and so, I sleep with uh, oxygen. So you have, you have like a portable oxygen bottle you have with you at home? So, so you never thought you'd do that at this age, right? I know. Yeah, yeah not yet. <laughs> so, not yet. Yeah. Well, you should see me dragging around that thing when I had to come home because I literally was slow. And, mm -hmm. and literally, I could walk for two minutes when I got out of the hospital. I got out of the hospital on Friday the 13th. Mm. And uh, they would have sent me home on Thursday, but that's an interesting thing too. You can't call Uber to take you home if you got COVID. Mm -hmm. They don't have protocols and stuff. So there literally is a uh, COVID transport service. Mm. And they couldn't get me one out on Thursday. They were booked taking people home. Mm -hmm. And so they took me home on Friday morning. And um, I was mostly on the couch. Uh, I had an oxygen bottle. Later that day, the oxygen company delivered an actual machine that manufactures mm -hmm. uh, oxygen. It pulls in the air. It does the conversion. And so the machine is what I use. I do have bottles if I need to go anywhere and take so, oxygen with me. So to be clear, at that point, COVID wasn't gone from your system. You had just run through the worst course of the disease and reached a stabilization where you could go home, right? Correct. At, at what point do you think you were recovered from COVID to return to, to, to work? What, what, was, what was that point? So the good thing is, is telework. <laughs> uh, I, I, I felt strong enough from Friday to Monday that I could actually, you know, do some emails and do that stuff. And I actually did about four hours mm -hmm. on that Monday keeping up with it, but nothing strenuous. Right. I will tell you now, if I had to do anything strenuous, I'd be toast shortly. Mm -hmm. uh, the f Friday, it was last Friday. Last Friday was the first time I went out anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I went out to, I had to do a bank run, a pharmacy run to pick up my refills on Eloquus. And then I hit two grocery stores. I took my time. Mm -hmm. I walked slowly. It was two and a half hours out. Totally exhausted when I got home. Absolutely. Sat, got my groceries it, put away, sat on my couch, and put the mm -hmm. oxygen on. It, and real quick, you, you were cleared through post-testing uh, for this, correct? Through what? Through post-testing. or how, how did you know that you had run the course of the disease so and, that's and the could interesting be safe thing. in public? That, very good question. They don't do a test at the end. 
Mm, okay. They um, they look at their protocols, which uh, I always chuckle. I say every time uh, Dr. Fauci changes underwear, the protocols change right. because we've seen them morph over time. But even right now, um, there's three. I, I, I know th myself and two other people dealing with COVID and the protocols they've been told. We have three different protocols. You remember the original one, 10 days past onset of symptoms, three days symptom free. Mm -hmm. One of mine is running that. They said 10 days after. Actually, I think they told him 14 days after. Mm -hmm. No, they told him 10. The other one, it was 14 days after your test, is what they told him. The doctor in the hospital told me the most recent change, and this is what they sent me, was 20 days after onset of symptoms, mm -hmm. which I think is interesting because it ignores the back end of do you still have symptoms and what. Mm -hmm. So I counted that Wednesday of fever because I knew that was you know, definite symptomatic yes, yes. day. You know, I never lost smell, I never lost taste, mm -hmm. I never lost any, any of these other things. I just had to contend with the impact of fever. But um, I counted Monday, I got home on Friday, and Monday is my quarantine day, so I was locked in. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, friends, uh, I had my, had my grocery list and my stock-in list so I could take care of myself, and, and folks did the, the uh, porch drop-offs. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know you're full of antibodies. You know you're full of meds. But there's no verification at the end on mm -hmm. tests because they, I think what they, and it's a couple of things. One is if they test you, you still got it in you, so a test is going to go positive. Mm -hmm. Does that mean you're contagious? Right. Because right. if you're not outwardly symptomatic, and that's what I ask is, like, well, what's symptomatic and what's asymptomatic? Because you tell me I still have blood clots. Well, is that a symptom or is that an effect? You tell me I've got pneumonia. Is that a symptom or an effect? Mm -hmm. And um, I don't have all the other things. I don't have the fever. I don't have, have a lot of that. But they basically told me, it says, yeah, you're still considered that you have COVID right now, but, but you're good to go home. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what I did. And I, I just hunkered down, honestly, you know, for that first week before I felt strong enough that I could right. go out. But I learned that two and a half hours was too much. Right. And so there's a lot of stamina issues probably still to this day, right? Huge. I came in here today, 3001, and my office is on the second floor. I walked the stairway up the second floor, and I'm breathing. I literally had a, uh, on Monday, I had a telephone call. We dialed in. We have all my div chiefs. We have our Monday stand-up. And I was running through, you know, conversation. And I got shorter and shorter of breath. And I had to apologize. I said, okay, I'm, I'm short of breath. I've got I've to back off. And I don't know how long that's going to go. Mm -hmm. I know they're going to have me on Eloquist blood thinners for three months. Yes. So you do a double dose or whatever, morning and evening, two pills morning and evening for seven days, and then you go to one morning and evening, and you run that course for 90 days. Uh, I actually have my first follow-up doctor's visit on the 1st of December. And then say, okay, how am I? Mm -hmm. My guess is if he's smart, he's going to do a chest x-ray and he's going to do a lot of the obligatory first things to find mm -hmm. out, okay, let's do this baseline. I know that when I came out, and the reason they sent me home is the blood tests were looking right. Absolutely. What, what's really cool is you, um, they give you access to all your test results, all the doctor's notes, everything. So online I can go in and see everything that was done and I can see the day-by-day -day track and then they graph it out. So I've accessed all that thing and 
three examples of what stood out to me. Glucose for one, because the body will pump glucose, pump energy, pump sugar. And all that was happening, but Tony doesn't know this. Mm -hmm. Normal level is 90, and I was up in like, you know, 350, 360 on that first day going to the hospital. You have ferritin, you have iron. And the normal on that is like 25 to 250. I was at 548 on day one, or 578 on day one, 748 on day two, before about four days. It took about four days in, and I came back down. And then there's the C-reactive protein, which apparently attacks the muscles, right? Mm -hmm. The normal is zero to a half. And on day one going in, and I heard this is low, I heard of some people who've had higher. I was 24, but I'm 48 times the high end of that range. Had Tony stayed home, all this stuff's happened inside of him, invisible, Mm -hmm. invisible to me. And and even with this help, you lost 13 pounds. I did, I lost 7% of my body weight. I knew I was losing it and it's muscle mass. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I'm lower. I'm, I'm. I probably weigh less right now than I did in my 30s. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but I, you know, I'll be back in that that gym when I feel right. comfortable and have enough stamina to do anything other than lifting toothpicks. You know. So, so we've gone down a little bit of a path on discussion, but I, I want to go backwards because we have to pull on that thread of the kind of care that you got, the level of care, the level of knowledge we have now that we didn't have in March. And I think that illustrates just how important it is for, for all of us at Team Tinker to do our part to stay COVID safe because now it's even more important that we have those hospital beds, that we have those ICU units because I think the prognosis of success is probably higher than it was six months ago and four months ago. Um, and so every bed is important because every bed really can make a difference and, and I think the, the, the real hammer home there is that they can really help at the hospital, but they can if you can't get in. That is, that is very true. And I'll tell you, to a T, the staff down there was committed. It's been the same crew since the beginning. There is a little bit of fatigue setting in on mm-hmm. some. But the attitude, the level of care, the knowledge, the proficiency. It's kind of hard when I was dehydrated from fever that long for them to find some veins here a couple times. It was so it was so flat, but but they worked. They tried. They were professional all the way. They they communicated, and now with what they can do, uh, I think your point is right. People need to be able to get access to that when they need it. Uh, I knew, I felt I needed to get out of the hospital. In fact, my roommate was able to go home um, on Wednesday, the 11th. And uh, then they took our room. They were going to bring somebody else in, which I thought would have been interesting because now you're going to bring in a new patient to guys on the back end of it, and you're going to bring in a new thing. And they said, you know what? We've got one empty room over here that's a one-bedroom. They said, we're going to move you there because I was supposed to go home the next day. Mm-hmm. They ended up having to keep me an extra one. But then that allowed them to clean our room and have two new beds. The doctor told me they had six ICU beds in the area that one day, six. Mm-hmm. And that Tulsa was full, and, yes. and it gets very dangerous because ICU is not the only place they take you, obviously. You know, they have the wing, but ICU for the most critical Absolutely. is what you have to have, and that's why that's the measured, the measured metric. Um, so many people, you hear about the, 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 the light cases of it. Um, I spent 10 days in the hospital, Mm -hmm. 10 days after seven days at home with fever. And so it was a crazy period. I should have been in the hospital at five. Mm -hmm. 
And that's kind of a message. If you're if you got a fever that's going past five, don't wait till seven. Yes, sir. And and important to note that at, on Tinker, we have had an airman um, under the age of thirty uh, almost pass away. Spent a lot of time in the ICU, wow. uh, multiple days in the ICU, multiple uh, uh, tube drainage in the lungs, multiple ventilator uh, interventions, mm-hmm. and and I, I think I'm just trying to go off memory. Twenty six years old. So we have to understand that, that it really can happen to anybody. Um, and it illustrates how safe we must be. Right. Um, we gotta take this seriously. For a frame of reference, Team Tinker, we're in a room right now, uh, unmasked uh, to, to accomplish this Tinker Talk session, but we're 10 feet apart and only four of us in a room that has a seating capacity of 75 so that we can exercise uh, the kind of precaution we need to make sure that we're staying safe from COVID. That, that we mask when we're indoors and when we can't separate from people by, by at least six feet, that we wash our hands when, when we touch something that's, that isn't ours and that we conspicuously clean all the time, stay away from crowds. Those are the foundational uh, basics of, of what we gotta get done here to keep people COVID safe. Uh, so with that, sir, um, I'd, I'd like to give you an opportunity just to talk to Team Tinker with a closing message to our audience because what you've already delivered for us is of extraordinary value. And I, I just want to say thank you, and you can bring us home on this. Okay, well, thank you, Colonel. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, COVID is one of those uh, great unknowns out there, unknown in the sense of where, when, why, and how it's going to strike. Uh, I do know a lot of people who've had milder cases. Um, I've had some employees who faced it. One had hospital time and she had about eight days. Um, so, and she recovered from it. Uh, all the other ones uh, have, have generally been shorter periods. But the reality is not knowing what it is doing, you have to think about a couple of things. Uh, one, best course of action is doing everything possible to avoid it. Uh, I mentioned earlier that there's no worse feeling than to think you might have exposed somebody. And that was kind of one of my mantras up front of, of you know, be prudent, <clears throat> be prepared, and don't panic. So I did that from the outset back in March, and I carried that theme all the way through. It's not something you need to panic about. It's something you need to be smart about. And so how, you know, how do you be smart about it? You know, I really said I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust the folks that are writing the protocols out because those are the types of things I would do if I had the flu. Those are the types of things I would do with anything else that was contagious. If you have strep throat, what do you do? Stay home. So things like that that arguably are smart to prevent uh, the spread of it. But I'll tell you, uh, I think in my perspective looking backwards is I would probably take it, I will, I will be taking it even a step further because I adhered to the protocols, always with one caveat. If we're in a meeting and the other person wants to wear a mask, notwithstanding distances and stuff, I respect that and we'll all wear masks. And I usually deferred to those folks coming in because we may have contracting officer warrant boards and it's like, what do you want to do? Because we're gonna comply. And, and I argue that, that a lot of that following protocols is respect for other people. On Wednesday, when I had symptoms that night, I had two one-on-one meetings in my office, which had space, which has a table that has eight seats around it. 
And we spread out on opposite sides of the table. I had a meeting in the morning, a meeting in the afternoon. The meeting in the afternoon, we both wore masks because uh, that colleague's uh, mother has, uh, has experienced COVID. And so he's doing all protocols to be safe. So we both wore masks. In the morning, offered up to uh, one of my, it was one of my section chiefs. And uh, he says, no, I'm fine. We're all good. Everything's good. We were spread apart. I show up with symptoms that night. Friday night, he starts a low fever. I'm like, two days. Where's that window? Where's that proto? Where's that contact tracing window? Two to five, right? When symptoms, mm -hmm. two days. I'm like, oh my God. Now, fortunately, he had a three day, boom, boom, low fever, up, down, gun, and thank you. Um, I may have given somebody COVID inadvertently still following the normally accepted protocols. Mm -hmm. So I think there's things we don't know, like closed rooms, and you've done it. Kudos, uh, Colonel Filchek, of, of you know, rooms and room size, and, and because there are some scientists starting to talk about saturating rooms mm -hmm. with, with molecules. And so masks are not necessarily a bad idea. In fact, that is what you know we've significantly moved to. Uh, some of my offices actually put that in up front. They kind of all got together and says, we wanna wear a mask in here anyway. Perfect, do it. And notwithstanding the fact that it wasn't a lot of people in the office you know, when, when they were in, but so um, for me, I think follow protocols, but take them to an extra degree. Uh, from the beginning, I've always been aware of kind of who's around me in space. I was never a space conscious person because I don't feel mm -hmm. like space is ever infringing on me. But I become space aware, more about understanding that I'm protecting someone else because I'm not breathing on them. You don't want to give somebody COVID, mm -hmm. okay? Yes. The uh, other thing <clears throat> is if you do start exhibiting symptoms, err on the side of caution. Uh, people have come into the office thinking, um, yeah, you know, I was there, but I'm going to be okay. One of the protocols I practiced, I uh, mentioned it about my circles, is maybe is, is if I saw one of my circles on a Monday, I'd kind of wait that two to five before I was ever in close proximity with another one of my circles so that I had a, a symptom development period mm -hmm. there. So if you're potentially, if you're around somebody and you're thinking, you know, we were a little close. I went to a place and that was just tight. I actually went to an auction uh, during the COVID period. I walked in, I looked, most of the people weren't masked and they were way close. And I said, not me, not here, not today and left. And I think you have to make that decision, understanding yes. that you don't have to be anywhere, really, at the end of the day, you don't have to be there. And so make the smart decision not to put yourself at risk. And so uh, I think that is sensible. If you do develop symptoms, particularly fever, do not let it go past five days. And don't think you're gonna be a hero because the things that were going on inside my body that I didn't know about, literally ever, there are, there are probably three of those that could have killed me mm -hmm. within that. 
And, and so real quick, important to note that the fever, you, you may not even have a fever and you could have a number of the other symptoms and still pass from COVID. That's very so true. So a fever breaking wouldn't really be an indication that you're in a safe area at all. That's very, that is very true. That is very true. When you talk symptoms too, you know, easy tests, and it's kind of funny. Every day I smell my orange juice and I taste my orange juice. Every day, you know, it's like, yeah, my sense of cell's still good. So it's just the easy things. Mm-hmm. And I say that because one of my circles, um, one gentleman in one of my circles um, developed COVID and tested positive for COVID about, I don't know, 10 days ago, maybe. And he, uh, he was out and somebody said something about smelling something. He's like, oh, I didn't smell that. It must be faint. He said, I'm driving home. And I thought about it and said, well, wait a minute. He said, I tried to smell my coffee. I couldn't smell my coffee. I'm like, okay. He was heading home. He went home. I don't recommend this approach, but he got a can of gasoline, which clearly you can smell. And he says, I couldn't smell the gasoline. And then he went to the VA and got tested. And sure enough, he turned up positive. So he and his wife and three kids are quarantining in the house, but he's a three-dayer and no one else contracted it, fortunately, with the isolation. But uh, be alert to how you're feeling. Um, hopefully, we all know what, is, what feels different with us. And probably a final message to you guys is, um, you know, we always hear the Air Force and applaud it. Say, take care of your wingman. Mm-hmm. If you see somebody, particularly somebody who is like me, you know, I live alone. I'm I'm at work. I'm at my circle, so people see me. There's random people seeing me. Notice when they're different, and that's kind of that women concept. You can tell when somebody's troubled. You can tell when they're bothered. You can tell when they're stressed. So engage with them when you see that. There are five people that saved my life. I am convinced. That morning of the 4th of November, because stubborn Tony would have said, hey, I got past it. Those things that are inside of me, and honestly, there's still risks, you know, from the doctors. Uh, One thing they tell that they think they know about clots, the antibodies they say tend maybe to go away, which maybe is unfortunate, so you may not be, you know, develop an overall immunity to it. But one thing they say about clots when you get clots is now you'll always be susceptible to clots. Mm. I hope that's not true. My dad, God bless him, is 91 years old, and most of his family lives up in the 90s, so I figured people are going to have to put up with me for a long time. Uh, COVID literally could have changed that. COVID could have changed that in early November. And so uh, very important. I think I I love what we do at Tinker. I love the fact that we have dedicated our life of service to – to the nation in the types of things that we do. It's very important what we do for them. We have to take care of ourselves in that same process, right? And so uh, for me, uh, part of that taking care of ourselves is looking at those people that we see every day. And when somebody needs intervention, you can be saving a life. I really believe those five friends save mine. Well, with that, thanks for holding it together on that, because I know I know that it's very, very touching to you. Uh, um, that's pretty profound. Thank you very much. I'm going to let Mark Hybers finish us off today, but I think all of Team Tinker, 
owes you a sincere debt of gratitude for paying it forward. Um, much appreciated, and thank you for the insight. Thank Mark, you. bring us home. Thanks, Colonel. And Mr. Bauman, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, we know we've been in this for quite a while, and uh, it's, you know, this just goes to show that uh, it's still around and it's still dangerous and uh, doing all the things that, that are put forth uh, with a great deal of thought, of course, that, that always comes out. Um, and Colonel, great job, sir. Thank you for, uh, thanks for taking the stick, as we say in the Air Force, and as we navigate these waters through this pandemic to finally get to the end. Um, and I think before we get out of here, um, I think we should also just, as, as you had said, Mr. Bauman, you know, the wingman concept and, and a shout out to our, our first responders and our, our medical professionals and not just outside of, you know, the, the, the base. Um, we don't do those things here on the base because we're not a hospital, but our first responders here are, are very equipped to be able to jump in. Um, and assess situations like that. And uh, I just think it, it can't be stated enough that yes. we owe all of our first responders a great deal of, of gratitude. And uh, so with that, we are going to close out this episode of Tinker Talks. Um, I do want to remind you to check us out on social media. That's at Tinker Air Force Base on Facebook and Instagram and at team underscore Tinker on Twitter. And of course, for all the latest coronavirus updates that we do have, we have a very robust page here at Tinker. Uh, you can find that at www.tinker.af.mil. And as we always say, until next time, uh, stay safe out there. Um, treat each other with a, a lot of respect and have a great day and a great